0: me in James chapter one. Last week we played let's make a deal and we remembered the game show that you had doors you had to choose which door you wanted to open and get the prize and in one behind one door would be a, a good prize and behind the other one it was called the zonk prize. The zonk could be anything from a pregnant donkey to a rusty old bike with no wheels. You never knew what it was gonna be. But we were left at the end, if you have it on the top of your outline, with two doors. Door one, we'll call the one on the left door one, is to be poor hearers of the word of God. In other words, we don't really listen to what the word of God says, we don't really listen to the message, we don't really get into the Bible. And therefore, we're not doers of the word and James says those who listen to the word and don't put it into practice are self-deceived. That's the, that's the zonk. Anybody here want to be deceived? Self-deceived? Okay, big zonk. That's the donkey they showed last week. Some of you might like a donkey, but I don't I live in town. Sec- door two, though, is to be right hearers of the word, receiving the word of God for what it's meant to be, God's word to us, and becoming doers. And that is blessing. So door two is the blessing of God. We don't know what exactly form that comes in, but God says that there is happiness, there is wellness in receiving his word and living it out. There is self-deception in hearing it, coming to church and then walking out and not doing it. That's deception. Now today, I wanna talk about how that works out. When we open the door, and, and we need to have a, a 3D faith, remember this? Now I don't know if, how many people are actually here that remember this particular, because this is back from the 50s, uh, but they had this thing called 3D film and you wore the glasses, and you've been to 3D films probably, it is fun. I mean, you know, there's a bee flying and it comes right at you. So. Um, There's a newer one, too, though. They've come out with a whole wave. I think it was in the early 2000s. There was a whole new wave of 3D uh, films, and that's a little bit more contemporary looking there. The point is that it opens up new dimensions for us seeing. You you experience things in a more living, real way. When someone reaches out their hand to you, you literally feel like you can take it right out of their hands. Today is about how to take the Word of God and translate it into 3D into real life. That's the point. So James has a pair of 3D glasses for all of us. He's gonna have you put them on and live. Uh, Verse 26. Yes, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Verses 26 and 27 are very formative. They are a set of 3D glasses. This is how we're to look at life. Their, their Holy Spirit, what's the word I'm looking for? How do, what do you do to a lens? you? Not tune it, you focus it. Holy Spirit focused lenses on how to live life. Let's look at this. We see three dimensions, first of all, and here's the three dimensions. We see a controlled tongue in verse 26, we see a compassionate heart in 27, and also in 27, a clean soul, okay? These are the types of, these are examples of the type of lifestyle and attitude and character that a Christian who is living the word of God will demonstrate. Now let's start with a word that's uncomfortable to us. James uses a word, in verse 26 he said, if anyone considers himself religious. And then in verse 27 he talks about religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. Now we, we have a tendency not to like the word religion. I'm one of those people, I don't particularly like the word religion. We tend to think of religion as something, you know, Christianity is Jesus coming to earth to rescue us. Religion is things we try to do to make God love us or make God uh, accept us. And we all know that it's not right. We tend to think of, um, well, religion is kind of people trying to invent their own way to God or their own way to impress God or impress others. And so it's not real and it really makes posers out of us. Right? Because it's man-made, it makes us posers. We're trying to impress God and he says, I don't, I don't see you. In this sense, religion is one of the chief human evils. But actually, religion itself, there can be bad and good religion according to James. The word itself, Concept itself is not bad. The word religion has to do with the outward practice, the, the rituals, the things that define your practice of your faith. James says there's good and bad religion. There's religion God approves of and religion he doesn't approve of. So it's not a bad thing. I, I still don't prefer not to use the term religion, but there is good and bad. Verse 26 is a diagnosis of one who has useless religion. Verse 27 is a diagnosis of religion acceptable to God. Let's, let's take a look at verse 26. Doers of the word. Those who hear the word and put it into practice will first of all have a controlled tongue. It's a, it's a good religion. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a right tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and the religion is worthless. Notice it's the third time we've seen deception. We saw it in verse verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. We saw it in verse 22. Don't be hearers of the word and not doers deceiving ourselves. And now we see again. If a man thinks he's religious, if a a person thinks that they are serving God and going to church and doing all these things, but they don't have control of their tongue, they're deceiving themselves. I didn't say this was going to be easy or painless. Because this is a painless, this is a painful... Painful thing, isn't it? In fact, Mike designated the book of James the book of ouch several weeks ago. And one of the biggest ouches of James is he really puts a lot of hot sauce on your tongue. Like ghost pepper hot sauce. It's ouch. And that's going to happen today. It's a huge issue in James. Flip over with me, uh, in light of verse 26, a man thinks himself religious doesn't bridle his own tongue. Look at the um, look at chapter 3. Flip over to chapter 3, verse 9 and you see parallel. With the tongue, James says, we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Well, there you go. An example that's almost the same. But in chapter 2 we see the same type of issue we see in, um, in verse 16, if one eat, uh, verse 15, chapter two, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Okay, so again, speaking, but not doing. We see the whole ch- section of chapter three, the first 12 verses, the part we just read, and then we take a look at chapter four, And it talks about in verse 11, brothers do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against her brother or judges him speak against the law and judges it. We look in chapter five, we see verse verse nine, don't grumble against each other, brothers, for you will be judged. You see a pattern here? James returns to this over and over again. In fact, he returns to this theme the whole book, these three things and says, Do not be self-deceived that if your tongue is a runaway train, that you've got an acceptable religion, an acceptable expression of your faith. And that is hard, hard truth. Now notice he says, notice how he says in verse 26. If a man is, thinks he's religious, does not have a tight rein, a bridle is the idea. Your tongue is not bridled. It's the same word that's used for a horse's bridle or reins. So here's the point. When you have a bridle on a horse, you tell the horse when to go, when to stop, which way to go, etc. right? And so when we look at our tongues being bridled, it means that the Holy Spirit has a bridle over our tongue. He tells us when to speak, he tells us what to speak, he tells us when to stop, tells us how to speak, what to speak about. And we often buck the system, the Spirit says, stop, and we keep going and talking about our neighbor. Or he says, it's time to speak about Jesus and we say, boy, wasn't that a good show on NBC last night? Nothing wrong with the show on NBC, it's just that the spirit is trying to bridle our tongue and lead us in a different direction at that moment. Like, I couldn't do that. There are times when it's important to speak, and times when it's important not to speak. How many of you have found this to be one of the most difficult parts of life, figuring that out? I've got both arms up, I've got all my toes toes pointing, It always feels so important when I feel the need to make my point, then I go, boy was that dumb. <laughs> Notice uh, I, wrote, I gave you a verse on your outline from uh, Ephesians. Do not let any, Here, here's a bridle, look at this bridle. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The word unwholesome is the word rotten, used for rotten. So don't let rotten speech come out. You know, you got a rotten banana, throw it out at you, you wouldn't want that. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So our speech is to be something that benefits, that builds up. And ver- do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom you were sealed, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Um, the Spirit is grieved when we speak things that cut others down. That's how important their speech is. All right, let's go on to the second part. A controlled tongue. Compassionate heart is the second. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Religion, practice of faith that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, the real thing and complete without error it's to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is an amazing passage. I'm gonna explain more about why. But this, this, this just, wow, 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 wow. Um, notice when it says that Father, religion that God our Father accepts, the wording in the original something to the effect of religion that is, accept, that is pure and faultless before the face of God our Father. love that. Because what that does, I think the, King, the original King James, the King James actually worded it something like that. But it, it sort of calls us to this. My brothers and sisters, you live for an audience of one, God. You could say an audience of three, God. But either way, you live to please God. That's who you want, you want your, you want pure and god to see is as pure and faultless someone else might look at you and say you're wrong that's okay you may not please other people that's okay you're not living to please the crowd you're li- this is the same as jesus did in the sermon on the mount isn't it he said when you pray don't pray to please, uh, to impress others pray pray to your father so so he's so you're, you're building your relationship with your father this is about serving god not impressing others that's what This is the type of idea this is. So it's very important. If I want to please God, live for that audience of one, this is very important. Widows and orphans are often the focus of God's concern in the Bible. Uh, These are two groups in society that were without safety nets, the most vulnerable. Um, And we have in in, in the Word, we have all kinds of uh, calls to uh, care for widows and orphans. In fact, look at... a compassionate heart at the verse from Deuteronomy. This is under the Old Testament. This is Old Testament Israel, the law. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, who were the Levites? The priests, they were the religious leaders. That, that That was like the local church. That was the religious establishment. And the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows, there's orphans and widows, who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So in in the Old Testament, Israel, God says, I'll bless you if you take care of these things. And there's several other places where God talks about widows and orphans. They were the most vulnerable. In fact, in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Timothy, it describes a ministry that is to widows. And widows actually had a position in the church. Because, let's face it, widows, they didn't have life insurance. They didn't have the type of situations that we do. They were very dependent. And also in the early church, Christians were known for doing something that was just, I mean, one of the reasons Christians got persecuted is because they were messing up society. They were ruining the social order because people would have children that they didn't want. They would put them at the town garbage dump to die. And Christians had the nerve to go and rescue them and care for them. And that's one of the reasons why Christians were not liked and were hated. They're they're ruining our society. We've got all these kids. Nobody wants them. I mean, that was was considered moral at the time. The right thing to do was the expedient thing to do for the common good. And um, Christians were the ones who went and rescued them. That's why you have so many orphanages and hospitals and Homes that are of Christian origin because of the, this tradition that has gone on for 2,000 years. And it says that we are to, to visit them in their distress. The word is flips us. It's pressure, tribulation. The idea relieve people who are in, their, in, in distress. Be, be those who relieve those in distress. Who have pressures that are squeezing and choking them. These categories by the way are not exhaustive. They're categorical. You know what I mean? In other words, he's not saying, well there's people out there who, who have a need but they're not widows or orphans. You can't help them. No, that's not the point. I'm really, Verse 26 with controlling the tongue, I'm really bad at this guy but because of what James says in verse 26, I'm not gonna say anything bad about him. I'm just gonna punch his lights out. James doesn't tell me not to do that. <laughs> okay, you, you see what I'm saying? Oh, I know this person's in deep grief, but that person's not a widow or an orphan. Who cares what they feel? Okay, No, no. The point is it's categorical. It's saying those who are in need and distress, we are to be those who reach out and help and care, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, whoever they are, whatever their circumstances. Those who need an advocate, speak up for. Those who need help, we help. Those who need acceptance because they're not accepted, we accept. And thirdly, is a clean soul. Controlled tongue, compassionate heart, and clean soul. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Putting this with, Widows and orphans in their distress is one of the things that makes this such a powerful passage. Um, the idea of not being soiled or spotted by the world, corrupted by the world, being clean-souled. See, the world is, is, does not mean the globe, the earth. The world means the, the systems of ideas that oppose God. Anywhere you have human systems that are man-made, you, it, it will be in certain degree opposition to God. The world is the world of people that don't want God to rule them. They make their own rules, they do their own thing. They are part of the fallen world. We are all sinners. And when you get a bunch of sinners together and try to organize a society, try to organize a school, try to organize a business, try to organize a church, what happens? Well, we're sinners and we don't always get along and we mess things up and somebody cheats and somebody steals and somebody oppresses others. And he says, you don't wanna be acting like the world here. We want to be uns- clean and unspotted in our worldview, in our perspectives on things, such as it's okay to throw, this is how radical it was at that time, it's okay to put babies at the garbage dump and Christians are wrong for rescuing them. That's, that was what they thought and Christians said, we will not be like the world and look the other way. That sounds preposterous to us. It's because we've had Jesus for 2,000 years. That's why we think that way. I'm not saying that everybody thought that way in the ancient world, but that was what was going on. Okay? I'm not saying there weren't exceptions. There's always exceptions and differences. Sometimes it's a sexual thing. Our, our view on sexuality and purity not being polluted by the world. Or materialism. Notice the passage from Romans, it talks about how we are to, uh, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You should think differently. Don't be corrupted, spotted, stained by the world's thinking. Let God's truth, remember, this whole passage is about living by the word, All the way through, this defines how we view things, how we approach things, how we see right and wrong, good and evil, etc. By the way, mostly, if you, this is talking about favoritism, respect of persons. Caring for those who nobody else cares for, who are disadvantaged. For example, notice that talking about looking after widows and orphans, then in verse 2, chapter 1, it says, my brothers. Here's an example, brothers. As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Don't be like the world that thinks some people aren't worth anything and others are. You shouldn't be that way. That's worldly. Don't be divided. Against each other, like the world. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 3 as long as one says, I follow Apollos, one says, I follow Peter, you're worldly. Okay. One is a Buddyite, and one is a Daveite. I like Buddy's guitar. No, I like Dave's guitar. Oh, no, I like Steve because now he's playing the bass. I'm a Steveite. That's worldly, that's carnal. To do that notice how it says in verse about being spotless from the world keep oneself from being polluted by the world keep oneself Jesus who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him we are made righteous and spotless in him and if we confess our sins, it says in First John, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus makes us right. Jesus makes us stand clean before God. It is the goal to keep clean. We cannot make ourselves clean. We can stay that way by always confessing and coming back to Jesus and letting his work on the cross cleanse us and bring us back to the starting gate again, cleansed and free by the blood of Jesus. Now, let's go to the second part of the, what we're talking about today, which is that doers of the world will not do something. I didn't know how to outline this, but doers of the word are 3D, but now we want to see that they, are, they refrain from something. This is a greatly significant thing that we're talking about here. They, re, they do not reduce Christianity to religious observance. This has been a disaster historically. Verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. They go to church, but they're not changed. They consider themselves Christians, but they're not changed. They say the right things in church, they say the right things in the right settings, but they go home and rip their family apart. They go to work and they compete and slander and blaspheme. That's the point. Generations of church people, Christian families, but they treat each other like trash. Have you seen it? They feud. They disown each other. Their parents are harsh with kids. Kids resent parents. They talk down to each other. I've I known families where it's like they talk to others. They're normal people. And you can, but you can see it. When they get with a brother or a sister or a parent, it's like, it's like a Jekyll or Hyde. It's like the formula wears off. And all of a sudden, they're harsh and judgmental and demanding. I'm like, What happened to you? I'm not, I, I wish I were exaggerating. I wish I were teaching literature and teaching about hyperbole that, but I'm not, I'm talking real because James is talking real and James didn't say this for no reason. We gotta give this some consideration. Notice I gave you a reference from Jeremiah on your outline. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord. I've always, I used to think this was funny. I'm not so sure it's funny anymore, but it's still like, wow. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, orphans and widows, and do not shed innocent and blood in this place, do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place the land I gave your ancestors for ever and ever. But well, look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Here's what was happening. The Judeans were saying, This is God's temple, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Say it with me: Temple of the Lord. Woo, woo, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord. And the implication was God's not really going to judge us, because it's the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. That's what was going on and and, and God says in in, (laughs) those are worthless words because of how you're being, you want my blessing, you know, this is a Christian church, Christian church, we're a Christian family, we go to Christian school, Christian school, Christian church, go to Christian family, really. I go to Bible study, Bible study. <laughs> he says, no, no. You want to stand before that audience of one. It's not all about just religious actions. They, don't, they teach you what to do. When we come together as a church, it's vital, but it's meant to worship and lift one another up so we can go out there and continue to live for him. To equip one another, to build relationships that are redemptive and encouraging. And things like, you know, radio and I listen to the fish. I listen to the fish. I listen to the fish. are you doing with the message of the fish when you're talking to your wife? That's the question. Not reducing Christianity to religious observances, which is what was... Secondly, not reducing Christianity to charity and morality. Verse 27. Pure religion is visit orphans and widows in their distress, and uh, keep yourself unstained by the world. There's a common reduction that takes place in churches all across the land. Drive down all our roads and there's churches all over the place, and and there are people in those churches who are trapped in this deception. They believe that Christianity is like another self-help. It's another way to be a good person, to live a good life, be a good citizen. Some people see Christianity, citizenship. And yeah, I'm a part of a church, it helps me be a good citizen. Sometimes it should make us not such good citizens, not, 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 not dishonest, not stealing, not doing things that are wrong, but we reject the materialism of society so we're a wreck to the economy sometimes. <laughs> I mean, face it. Sometimes I feel like I'm a terrible citizen. I don't buy every 29.95 offer that comes across the screen. But what they do is they think that Christianity is just okay, I'm a good person, I live a moral life and I do help people. Charity and morality, charity and morality. Don't worry about all that spiritual stuff, theology, the Bible. Ver- Chapter 1 of James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. He, he calls the shots. We serve him. Okay? Verse 18. God, the Father, chose to give us birth, new birth through the word of truth, that we might be kind of first fruits of all he created. We are born again by the word of God, the Spirit of God, from the Father. Okay? And then in verse 19 and on until the end, till verse 25, it tells us that this word of God, the gospel, the message about Jesus, that God used to give us new birth, new life, make us new creations, we now listen to the word, we read the word, and we live it out. And it talks about Jesus, and we are children of the Father, and we are born again and given new life in the Spirit. It's 3D Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as well as 3D These things, it's not just charity and morality. Just be a good person and be kind to others. God doesn't care what you believe. God doesn't care what you think. God cares about all that because it's his truth that he's planted in us and given to us in the written word, tells us how to live. And we're told not to be hearers only but to be doers of the word. We're not told not to be hearers We're told to not be hearers only, but you can't do the word until you what? First hear it. All right, and then the third thing that 3D Christians, those doers of the word, will not do is they will not reduce Christianity to social concern or personal morality. They will not say, well, And this is somewhat categorical and somewhat stereotypes, and they're not all true. But there is a division in our land of that that someone who goes by the term liberal will be concerned about the widow and the orphan. Someone who's conservative will be concerned about staying unpolluted by the world. Morality, traditional family type of stuff, right? And they both have nasty tongues toward each other and toward people that don't agree with them. So neither of them are any good up there. Right? You hearing me, are you following me? Okay. That's not what drives us. What drives us is being 3D living examples of the life God has for us. Where we fall in line with this group or this group or this ideology or this ideology is not what defines us. We will be in line with some and not in line with others. What makes us good Americans or not is what drives us. It's being Jesus people. Christ followers. And this passage tells us that we are to be caring for those in distress, advocates of those who are helpless, social justice, perhaps, very controversial topic in our society. And this tells us we are to be concerned about not being polluted by the world. That's personal morality. Okay? Both both not driven by critical theory that I fully agree that that's extraordinarily problematic if you know what I'm if you don't know what I'm talking about consider for yourself blessed and go glass-eyed for a few minutes but if you do know what I'm talking about it's very problematic it's wrong it's a secular version it's not Christian there are some points made by that are relevant but we are not following secular social justice here, we're talking about what the Bible tells us to be, who the Bible tells us to be, what the Bible tells us to care about, how the Bible tells us to live, okay? And we are not to be either or. Um, boy, I found this article that was a gift. I'm gonna read this to you. I'm, this, this stuff can get controversial. But I have an escape if I need to, so if you're trying you try to get me. Um, listen to this title. I found this yesterday. I was like jumping up and down. This is from a pastor in, um, pastor in um, England, but he grew up in Chicago. Evangelicals are obsessed with sex. But Christians should be marked by our love for the poor. First of all, it would be wrong to be obsessed with sex. It's important to believe, it's important to realize we're made in the image of God and we should follow God's vision and God's design for our sexuality, absolutely. That is not being obsessed with sex. But we also should be marked by our love for the poor. These are not but, there's no but. It should say, Christians believe God's design for our sexuality and are marked by love for the poor. It's not a but. There's no contrast there. There's no conflict. Listen to this paragraph. Many churches are serving their communities through food banks and charities such as Christians Against Poverty. Uh, This is in England, so they're talking about things that we might not recognize. They do amazing work here. But too many evangelicals, those who are Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, snorting people like us, too many evangelicals have ignored the core issues facing our nation. Many are instead obsessed with culture wars, critical race theory, gender, homosexuality, rather than the real issues facing our society, poverty, child abuse, inflation. I'm going to suggest that there are six issues named. They're all real issues. We need to be seeking God on all of them, right? We need to ask God, what do you, th- what is, what is the biblical view on critical race theory? What is the biblical view on gender? What's the biblical view on homosexuality? And what is the biblical view on poverty? What is the biblical view on child abuse? What's the biblical view on inflation? It's not again. It's not either or. It's James one twenty seven. And verse 26, be kind to all and loving and don't speak evil of those who are on the other side. Or don't use your tongue for evil, use it for good, to build up. That's the vision. And one of the issues of the early church was to care for people who were outsiders. Another vision was they had a Morality that blew people's minds. Are you telling me that a man should not have a mistress? That's exactly what we're telling you. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Whoa! They want to hear that. Get these people out of here! <laughs> Both. Brothers and sisters, do you have your 3D glasses on? Keep this outline and envision that James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is working on the lenses. And And now he's got the 3D vision described in these two verses, and the whole of chapter 1, actually, and then the whole of James. He says, now you are to see life this way. You're all beautiful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, wow, this is a powerful passage that gives us a vision. This is, this is not just a Bible teaching, it's a vision of, of how we look at life and how we live life. And thank you for giving us this. Thank you that you've called us to care for the lowly because quite honestly, none of us are famous. None of us are rich. None of us are highfalutin. We are citizens in Ravenna and Streetsboro and places where Garrettsville places that that the high the high society would look down on. In a different time, we would be the ones who are being persecuted by those who are of a higher standard. So we thank you that first of all, we live in a society that has. In many ways, the justice done in the Bible has been applied to our society and we don't want that to change. We thank you for that. We are beneficiaries of the Christian worldview and the Christian morality. But now, Lord, we pray that we will be faithful to, first of all, to live out your word. Live out the new birth, the spirit, the word, the son of God, Jesus, who saved us. And Father, help us to be balanced in our Christianity. Balance doesn't mean partial, it means radical in all these things. Radical to be pure from the world, radically concerned about those who are in need and who are on the, on the margins of society, and radically devoted to using our tongue for the right things that you call us to use it for, to build up and to do good. Make us a people marked by this 3D faith. And We thank you for the gospel, word which gives us new life in Jesus.